What's up, everybody? My movie, Left at Wall, is out now, and we got some screenings coming up in 2024. February 22nd, Tucson, Arizona. February 29th, Omaha, Nebraska. March 20th, Washington, D.C., and that is a free screening. So Washington, D.C., be sure to check out the movie. And March 22nd, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, we're doing a stand-up show, a screening, and a Q&A after. So I will physically be present at that one. Get tickets now at robplacone.com. I'll also be announcing more 2024 tour dates with both screenings, shows, screenings and shows. You get the idea. But for now, Tucson, Omaha, Washington, D.C., Pittsburgh. You can get tickets right now at romplacone.com. See you in 2024. Episode 12, Andy Awansio. Andy Awansio is a comedian, creative, and DJ. She's taken those niches and woven a beautiful creative quilt for herself. Her debut full-length, Better Living Through Femistry, comes out this Friday, December 8th, 2023, on Kill Rock Stars. Andy and I started comedy together in Seattle, and she was one of the first friends I made in the scene. We lived near each other, so often we would take the same bus. Plus, she grew up in Baltimore, I grew up in Pittsburgh, so we had that part of the country in common, too. When I think back to those early days in Seattle, I remember how fun and carefree they were, and Andy's among the first people I think of. We were all just broke 20-somethings with a notebook in our pocket and a head full of dreams, which, despite its hardships, is a beautiful thing. Please welcome to the show, Andy Awansio. All right, Andy, how are you? Thanks for joining me. I'm doing all right. I I had a seizure earlier today, but I'm doing okay. It just bumped my face. So yeah, if it it looks like I'm glistening, that uh, if if it looks like I'm slowly turning into a glazed ham, that's what that's about. But I'm It, it, it could pass for a sunburn. Yeah, let's say that again. I I. I look like I have tropical sunburn money. <laughs> there you go. And, and for that, for the audio podcast listeners, it's nothing whatsoever. They don't see a thing. No, 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 no. Uh, for the audio podcasters uh, listening, I I look like uh, the sweaty elbow of a football <laughs> player. <laughs> Nice. So, so first, congrats on everything, and we're of course going to be diving into uh, diving into it. But we'll we'll start uh, we'll start earlier. So, I, you know, we both started comedy pretty much around the same time. Uh, had a lot of fun memories, and especially since you and I would kind of travel together a lot because we both took the bus and we both lived in the same neighborhood. And uh, or similar neighborhoods. I think technically I I was Fremont. I was considered Fremont, even though I was like right on the cusp and you were Wallingford at the time. But but, you know, same same thing. And, uh, you know, as I've gotten older, a lot of people say, you know, those first couple years are the most fun. And I, I don't like to think in those terms, but I feel like those first couple years were kind of the most fancy free and just chill and just doing it for the fun of it would you agree with that like what's your take on all that i think it's like the it's the time in which you're like uh 
when you're youngest in comedy, nobody has any of these huge aspirations. And even though it doesn't seem like it was a lot a long time ago, it was like 2007. Uh, even though it's, that's not a long, long time ago, like the leaps and bounds comedy has made as we've moved into podcasts and everything and like everybody's windows have opened in terms of opportunity. Like it seems so charming how simple it was back then. Uh, and, uh, but at the same time, I think I would have stayed in it longer if there were more options. I think that was, it was still like a finite amount of space acting as a meritocracy to a certain extent when it really was like, a, you know, uh, it, it was still, you know, driven by as much opinion and backstage stuff as any anything else I'd been involved to in the creative arts up till that point. But yeah, just going up and trying shit and not caring if it works and coming back the next week and trying something new uh, in that like open micer, I'm not going to repeat anything kind of way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I th- I think it was it was fancy for you in that regard for sure. Have, well, when do you, you sorry, go ahead. No, I, I was just going to ask. So, did you step away for a little while, or because or, I I know you were still doing it when I left Seattle, and, and then I kind of wasn't able to keep tabs on everybody. So, did did you step away from comedy for a while? Yeah, I took a break of about uh, I think three and a half years because i had wasn't out as transgender and uh i didn't think it was going to affect anything really big but it was taking a lot of my you know when people talk about coming out as uh queer or transgender there's like a uh especially as starting comedy before coming out you act like you're it's really that your brain's taking up an amount of space like you're not using your full capacity because you're part of your brain is keeping this thing locked in and away from uh, your actual feelings. And so when you come out, you're immensely a a nicer person and and a better creative in general. Um, And uh, I didn't stop writing. I like just went to writing on Twitter for years. And so I, I stayed writing, but I didn't like, I wasn't getting on stage during those years. So how, when did you know you, you were transgender? Like, like, is it something you just always felt like you knew or or was there some time where, where you you didn't know what it was or or talk about that process? Um, I've, I've known since I was a kid. I mean, my, my parents kind of do too. There's a picture of me at like, I don't know, seven years old with a Fisher Price tea set for Christmas. And while that doesn't necessarily mean it's gendered, it was clear that I knew something about myself from an early age. And it wasn't until like high school, I'd say like 94, 95, that I was really starting to address it with friends and in small, you know, closeted areas of my life. And, uh, you know, as time went on, I, uh, I, I knew it and I had it in the background and, uh, even my partner knew it, but I wasn't out about it. At that time, I still used the word crossdresser, which is not 
correct a term. <laughs> sure. I, I thought like that's I don't try to explain that. That's like such an outdated term and feels weird to even say now. But uh, yeah, that's just kind of like the push and pull about you're trying to say you're only fascinated by part of it or not fascinated. But that tug of war and all that space that's going on in your head is taking up so much of your time in your emotions that trying to like hold on to do something like uh comedy was really hard. Hmm. Yeah. I, I think, I mean the term cross-dresser, which, yeah, I, I, I can't remember the last time I even heard that term until right now, but like, I, I think that there are some people out there that they just like performing and drag and that's it. And clearly that's not the same thing or anything. No, I, I did. I had a time. If you can imagine that, like, uh, I, th- I think it was that like crossdresser, transvestite and transgender were all considered different things back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, mostly the crossdresser was like somebody who wore to wear women's clothing, but not necessarily to the point of any reason other than they felt like it. Uh, transvestite was somebody who's like attracted to the idea of wearing women's clothing, and then transgender was just somebody who's a, a tr- trans saw themselves as a woman, and it it was just like if you can imagine, it's like a spectrum of living full time to living part time in terms mm-hmm. of like uh what you do. But I don't, you know, and. I think it's it's obvious when you see pictures of crossdressers back then that that it wasn't ever really a sexual thing per se because you see somebody dressed up as like a librarian, <laughs> you see somebody dressed up as like who looks like a just a fifty year old English teacher with a with a not the like bombast of any sort of sexualized feelings, you know. Um, yeah, and I, I just, I it was a long term of digging out and slowly coming out to people over the years. What year was it when you uh, completely came out? Uh, like 2010, 2011, I think. Okay. And then, like, I think wide open, maybe 2012. So, I remember, and I, I don't know if you remember this, but I asked you this... Because, you know, I, I try to always learn and, and be a good ally. And there's a, a, a transgender person who we both know. And they were talking to me once many years ago. And they said to me that they were going to see their father. And I said, oh, okay, that, that's exciting. And then they said, and he's going to meet me for the first time. Uh, and I said, oh, that, and I took that. Literally, and I said, oh, so you've never met your father. And then they said, no, I've met him many times, but he's never met me. And I, and I said, oh, OK. And, and, and so when I saw you for the first time when you were out, I said, hey, can I ask you a question? And it might be a really stupid question. And if it is, I, I feel like we've been friends long enough. And so I asked you, I said, are we meeting for the first time? And you looked at me and you said, no. <laughs> and you, you were like, why did you ask me that question? And I explained why. And, and you said, yeah, that that's not, I, I mean, I guess 
that's a thing for some people, but that's not how I see it. Is that sort of how it goes? I think that when somebody finds it later in light, it's a, a life. It's a possibility that that is how they feel and express their emotions. I don't, I, that's just like in the same way that uh, some people, some people, especially transgender people put up like a before and an after pick of them before they transitioned on hormones to after. And I don't believe I, I personally just knew I was always this person, you know, mm-hmm. ever since I was a kid, I don't see it as a before and after, but more of a journey. But mm-hmm. if somebody's drastically been living at distance with, from their like parent and aren't out to them and are start suddenly going by a new name and are suddenly going home to like, splash it across the page to some conservative family member i can totally see that as meeting you for the first time but i think that's more of like a uh something you'd hear in a movie uh (laughs) but uh you know different people describe it or find themselves in different places about how they come out so it's entirely just related to how that person feels but i known for so long that even meeting trans comics now they deal with different things than I dealt with when I was growing up. So like they have the internet, uh, they have like, you can order breast forms online. Like you can like find like all of these things to try out gender in a certain way. But I knew in like 95, and I didn't really have a community to find. And I had to craft my own boobs. <laughs> like, because you, like, as a trans woman, an older trans woman, you have boobs of different sizes. Like, you start where everybody starts with, like, a balloon. Um, and then it's, like, but uh, the ones that I had to craft were out of, like, plastic grocery bags filled with bird seed with, like, a knot at the top. Like, I had to craft mine. <laughs> okay. Uh, but like, thankfully, no the uh, the trans people that are coming up now don't have to deal with like the same struggles, and it's very nice. And they don't have wouldn't have to like have that same narrative anymore. People can meet, uh, be who they are supposed to be from the beginning at a very young age, and that's like very fortunate, and it makes me very happy. But it is definitely a different set of. It, I I sometimes can't I sometimes struggle to see uh like what we have in common with our struggles in the same way but uh uh I I'm happy for trans youth to be able to come out way earlier now That uh, yeah well that's interesting cuz uh, I'm curious then do you feel that as a society we're we're going in the right direction because I mean everything you just said is awesome but but then you you also look at you know some of the laws that are passing in places like florida and it it's i think it's frightening what's going on so so kind of what what's your take on all that i think that we have more media outlets than we ever had before i think that we have you know we'll lead, read a lot of news that doesn't represent these small areas but the lawmakers will respond to what they think a larger narrative in their party is and then enact these laws that are fucking 
awful and built on lies of like these like you know places trying to get clicks or sharing all this misinformation and i think that that can be an issue but when i'm out touring the country i don't see the same kind of hatred that uh that these laws and these like leaders and these like uh rallies or groups or whatever are trying to like instill fear so it doesn't i don't think it largely represents like the communities they say they're representing um i i i mean i never thought we'd have gay marriage but we've been slowly moving towards that and i i think we're just in you know slowly coming up it's just that uh Especially, I I think that it's intrinsically linked to us dealing with the idea of how we uh, address the patriarchy. And that's like baked into all of the issues about trans stuff. But um, I I do think we're heading towards better places. I've joked recently that uh, we're better off when you... We're safer when you don't know we exist, though. (laughs) So let's talk about your other uh, thing that you I want to say you've been doing longer than you've been doing comedy. But correct me if I'm wrong. That's DJing. Yeah, I've been DJing for 22 years now. And uh, it's it's really fun. I'm starting to like uh, I've been teaching for about the last 12 years. And I keep up with it and have become like a, uh, try to be, as I've started teaching, I've tried to be a better advocate for teaching dance music history and, and really how it evolves. And so I've been, you know, I've, I've seen that as my cause to take up and, and talk about at length with people, uh, whenever possible and trying to like talk to people about dance music is, is harder than talking about trans issues <laughs> just because like uh what it's just so it's such a funny memeable thing since it's a youth culture that like is constantly evolving and shifting in such weird small ways and uh yeah i think being an old raver and like i don't know trying to now that people who are old ravers have families now, it really has changed the narrative of like uh, how we see dance music as a youth culture or is it just old people shit? <laughs> <laughs> well, so how did you, how did you get into that? Like what was uh, it? Did you just start going to raves or, or was it just the art of DJing that drew you in first? Uh, I was listening to uh, an outdated format called Amiga Modules, which is a computer uh, composing tool from like 1991, 92, not even older than that. I would say 89, 90. And uh, people could, uh, it was basically a file that like had a bunch of samples and the samples would be triggered by, let's say notation or sheet music it would know where to trigger the samples across it. And uh, it was terrible sounding, but uh, it was really the first time you see like 
um, that kind of being able to share music in a democratic way, because I was just finding it on these websites that people were just sharing their, uh, sharing their compositions and their music. And uh, even on a shitty computer, like I had an old Mac classic, I could still listen to it. And uh, about there is where I started like finding and falling in love with it really. But I think, we're of a generation that can't help but have uh, nostalgia for like video game music hmm. or electronic music scores from movies or any, any number of thing in that regard. But so let's talk about the album. Tell me, tell me everything about the album. Um, I, I, I again, I've been like, hitting it and coming back hard for the past, like, uh, I would say th- like 10 ish, the 13 ish years I've been like coming back, uh, to try to treat it. And especially in the last like five years, treating it very like seriously. And, um, I had so much trans material, uh, that I couldn't as a trans comic, you could only do so much trans shit until it turns into a one person show. And so, (laughs) and I don't, I don't have that kind of dramatic arc in me. I think it was more about, I, I, I think about like having a little bit of trans material in my sets usually. And that, you know, that's my, uh, I think that's my revolutionary act is humanizing the trans narrative like by just sharing that I'm a boring ass person <laughs> and that that diffuses what people think about trans people. And like, I, you know, don't talk about it a whole ton on stage usually, but uh, I put out a EP. I started working uh, on, I started listening to podcasts and really like being on podcasts that I really love and one of them was a podcast uh, uh, run by a game na- named uh, Kyle Clark. And Kyle Clark does a podcast called Everything is Scary with an old friend of ours, Jen Saunderson. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. And so uh, I, Kyle had like a similar sense of humor to me, and we kind of clicked. And uh, when I did his podcast, he has a – we had chatted about his record label. He has a record label called Radland Records, but has a, it's just like a small indie label that puts out a lot of like, uh, a lot of just like small comedians who uh, sometimes go on to be big, much bigger things, but it's built around the, like the idea of like, fuck it, let's do it. And Mm -hmm. uh, I pitched to him doing a, instead of doing an album, doing the EP of all my trans material. So um, we recorded that last year, uh, last August, and it came out in Rat- on Radland Records in, um, in uh, about January and did pretty well. Number two on iTunes. Nice. Uh, but the... Uh, I think anything being number two on iTunes, you don't feel like, especially if you see that it, it feels good to be at the top of that chart, but then you're seeing that like weird Al Yankovic songs from fart song from like 
1997 is still popular and on that chart, you don't feel like you're competing as well. <laughs> when you're amongst like the Hanukkah song and then, you know, a, a one track of a, of a, of one track of like a, about if you're a redneck or not, or <laughs> it's, it's that's, that you're, that's like, that had to have been like 94, maybe even earlier. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're still up on that chart. Look at that chart is hilariously backwards. Uh, but you do see like, uh, but anyway, but Redland records put out the EP. It, uh, did pretty well back in January. And then what happened was that I was already on the radar of a few people at, um, well, I, due to the timeline, I guess I was getting ready to record an album for another label in a full length for an, a record label in Seattle called Den Tapes, which is a tape cassette only DIY label. Because of course, um, <laughs> there's still a and, few of those. There, there's one in Austin, and, and then this one in Seattle. I'm actually not familiar, but but I know there's uh, still a few of those floating around. Uh, yeah, and like I, that person was another, uh, uh, was another comic actually. Uh, 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 her name is Kay Redden, and she runs that label, and it's like respected all over. Like indie mm-hmm. people really respect that label because uh, she's doing it just out of love. Um, but uh, I was recording something for her, and uh, last December, and I recorded two shows, and they were going to be put out on tape. And then, like, after the, while it was in the production process, uh, the EP came out, it had a good reaction, and then the A&R from Kill Rockstars uh, reached out to me and said, uh, well, you know, we missed our chance to work with you once, but we'd like to, you know, talk about working on something in the future. And I was like, I mean, like, I can't just tell them to wait around for another two years, right? (laughs) Right. Like, I can't just be like, well, I'll just hold off. I've got a tape cassette I need to put out. So I talked to the people at the label and um, at the tape label with Kay. And she was like, oh, of course, go fucking do that. Mm Because, like, an indie label is going to respect, of course, knows that how big of a deal that is. And yeah. apparently is it the first time it's happened with that label, but uh suffice to say I go on to record the you know, record the album for Kill Rock Stars back in June at Eastburn in uh Portland, Oregon. And it was just a really good time and uh now that it's like starting to come out, we I can I I just can go back to the shows that I did for uh, Dan Tapes and possibly get another album coming out next year. <laughs> nice. There you go. Um, but yeah, it was like, I mean, I like hadn't recorded anything for, I hadn't recorded anything. So I had like 10 or 12 years worth of material that I hadn't recorded that I've been doing for forever. And so it is, uh, there's like nothing runs over. There's no, co- there's no copying over. There's no like 
overlap yeah. in terms of it. I mean, obviously because of contracts and stuff, but you know, uh, yeah, I don't, I'm, I'm excited for it. Well, it's funny. You are one of the people I think of still to this day, whatever I hear about Olympia, because correct me if I'm wrong, but, but back when we were both in Seattle at the same time, your partner lived in Olympia. Uh, yeah, yeah. He, okay. he, he was living in Olympia and finishing up ever. He is finished. He finished up evergreen, graduating evergreen. And, uh, so I was, you know, I was, uh, I, I was living in Wallingford and then, uh, that housing fell through. So I had no choice but to move. And I uh, moved down to Olympia for, I think, like a, a few years. That would have probably been the time that I really had stepped away from comedy. Mm. Probably that was probably why. But <laughs> um, but I was still, like, going to work up at Redmond every day, which is, like, a hell of a commute. But Yeah. that's. Did you have a car at that point, or what were you doing? No, that's uh, where I started writing Twitter on the bus. I had, like, oh, a wow. shitty phone. But I could go through Twitter, and so I started keeping up with like, I I started like, uh, you know, browsing Twitter and writing jokes still consistently, um, and uh, yeah, I just kept at it. Was still DJing down there and still tr- commuting up to s- Seattle, but um, I'm going. Uh, I think it's like full circle. I'm going down to, uh to do a uh, release party for the album down in Olympia uh, later next month. And uh, it feels neat and kind of iconic to do like a release party for killer rock stars in Olympia. I'd be lying if that wasn't like intentionally nerdy shit. (laughs) No, I I just think that's incredible. And yeah, when I, when I saw that news that that was something I thought of like, Oh, I remember you know, riding on the bus with, with, with Andy going from an open mic, going home and, and, you know, you talking about uh, going to see your partner in Olympia and, and here you are on, on kill rock stars. It's a pretty, it's pretty freaking cool. Yeah. I, I think it's, I mean, I also feel special that like there, uh, you know, there, I, because I was, because I'm a DJ and I've loved music so much for as long as I have, I think it's been, um, it really has, it means so much more to me to be out on a label like Kill Rock Stars. Cause like, you know, I, I definitely gotten way too stoned not too recently and like looked at the discography for Kill Rock Stars and being like, you know, the gossip, Bratmobile, Julie Ruin, and then me. <laughs> like if if it feels weird but it also feels kind of rad to be part of like an artist family and i've definitely like talked to some of the people on the label other artists and it's neat to have to feel like that support of a, a label family as well and i don't think i'm, I'm sure would have had that being out on or on some comedy label but it i don't know it means a lot yeah Absolutely. It's interesting to me how a lot of the people that we started out with, it's 
kind of crazy how many are still in the game and are still doing pretty well. Like, like it's mean, it's a very high percentage of people that are still at it and are doing cool things like releasing records on Kill Rock Stars or, you know, writing for some show or, or having some cool podcast or whatever. Yeah, I mean, like, we're we're in that time that, like, I mean, we Danielle Radford's doing great work with Cracked and mm-hmm. online content has a really great uh, podcast called Tights and Fights. Uh, Jen Saunderson is doing everything is scary but also was part of a really great uh series called filling is mutual for ifc yeah yeah that's uh, right solomon giorgio i think is doing okay i think he's doing all right yeah, i think, I, think I, haven't, right. I haven't heard it from him in a while i'm sure he's doing okay <laughs> i gotta look in on him gotta look uh, and see what he's up to he had a really I, great uh, sorry go ahead well I, I was just gonna say i i loved uh i really loved that first season of high fidelity and i think he was i think he was one of the main writers on that yeah one one of many things he's done but yeah he's i i was i was supposed to try to get dinner with him and nicole but unfortunately i couldn't make it but uh uh he's he's uh he's done so much good stuff and like i again like listening to podcasts is what kept me in comedy for kept me in touch with comedy even when I'd stepped away and listening to the podcast put your hands together which is a uh was a show uh it was a show that Cameron Esposito and River Butcher put on at the UCB Franklin every every week and then they would record the episode put it out the next week as a podcast so it was like a really unique way to say a really raw and unique way to stay on top of of like comedy it was like a really unique thing and uh i'd always wanted to do it and the night that i got to do it uh i i still have like the the lineup hung up on my wall like salman was on the show so to like i don't i i feel like every time by somebody who's seen me when i started and somebody who sees me now i immediately i do a set and then immediately go over and I'm so sorry you had to put it with me when I started. <laughs> I'm so much better at comedy now. I swear it. <laughs> uh, and then well, he, of course, we we all had to put up with each other when we all started. Yeah, yeah. I I mean we all we all have things that uh, we all have shit we said that nobody needs to repeat. Oh, absolutely. It's all open mic shit, but uh, yeah. And then yeah, there's just so many people and. I'm still friends, good friends with Derek Sheen. I saw him just just this past weekend. He's still a sweetheart. Emmett Montgomery's still around. Uh, he, he, I've run a, a queer open mic up here in Seattle, and he helped work the door for it last night. And uh, yeah, we've all become, you know, uh, outside of the folks who moved out, all the people who stayed in Seattle were still pretty good, still pretty good friends with. And uh, yeah. Just so many great people. Even, uh, even uh, I think Hari had just Hari Kondabolu had just left Seattle when we started. I think he moved yeah. to New York then. But that's the only other Seattle comic that's released a a, a comedy album on Kill Rock Stars. So I also I feel to. very privileged. But he he was living in. I th- I think he was already living in 
uh, New York when that happened. That was a, a, a fair deal after the fact. But Yeah, I think so. I, well, I think he went out to New York and then he got... I don't know if it was Kimmel, but but he got that TV spot like like pretty much right away, like right around the time he moved. And then he would he would come back through for Seattle to Seattle for shows. But he was in New York at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, I mean, his he started he was one of the people that started low ball, which was the Ballard show an open mic that we would we both did that Derek oh, yeah. helped run. And uh, I loved that place so much. It was a great mic. It was just so fun. And uh uh yeah, it it was it's I I really do feel like those times are still very special. I do really think we had like a good class of people and they all went on to do like uh way better uh done amazing things. Yeah, it's really cool. I mean, I mean, sometimes I think about that and then I, then I meet other, you know, like comics that you've just met, you know, on the road or, or just in L.A. Or, or wherever else. And, and you know, we'll talk about like, oh, I started in Tampa and da, 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 da. And, and then I think about that. And I'm like, yeah, I, I started in Seattle and it, it's actually a lot of people are still doing it <laughs> like, like, like 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 almost everybody. And, and like, like doing it at a, you know, like a, a pretty high level. And it's just, um, you know, it, it's, it's humbling and, and it's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely, I think we, we had, we had a good spaces to like do mics in. And mm-hmm. uh, I think it was, you know, uh, Ron Reed and Carl Warmhoven who helped run the comedy underground then were so like, running such a good space and that really did help like foster that community to a certain point. And I still remember getting like, uh, the rumblies of stage fright waiting to go up and everything and, uh, bombing so many times, but, um, yeah, I, it's, it, it was, it was really special to start the way we did. I think that was like the last, like huge era vault comedy i think too well how, how do you think it's it's different now like just sort of in seattle and then kind of just in general like for for comics starting out now is that your cat yeah there's a Aww. cat <laughs> i you know i'm sure you your your cat has always been a fixture i'm sure you're yeah, used to it oh yeah no i love it this is a this is a very cat friendly show she's actually asleep on the bed but Otherwise, she'd be making some noise. This is our neighbor. This is our not neighbors. Our roommate's cat who comes in and uh, just I, me and Linus, my partner, have always communicated in different uh, animal noises. <laughs> like when we lived in Olympia, well, we used to make bird noises to each other where we'd just go Rashad, Rashad, and then he would <laughs> respond Papa, Papa, if he was home. And then we moved into the place in Olympia together and they had a cat and the cat noise was brow, which mm-hmm. is just like a really like, like imagine a cat just coming up inquisitively like brow. And so me and Linus have browed each other for years, brow, 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 brow. <laughs> and then brow, 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 brow. If there's subtitles, it'd be like, Hey, are you home? I'm very stressed out and need weed. And it would be like, brow, 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 brow. Like I had a hard day too. Um, I smoked all the pre-rolls, but like the, uh, but (laughs) this cat, 
is as vocal. And so anytime we start browing at each other, the cat will come down the stairs and start browing back. And it's kind of like a threesome situation. Like you have a roommate who's a swinger who just wants in on the action. Uh, <laughs> but it's really adorable. It's really, I don't know. That's I, as I've like grown older, that's definitely the shit that, uh, has made me happy is just like little life bits with my partner and friends and dorky shit that just makes us laugh. I there's there's a couple things on the album that I just left in as a meta narrative to staying together with my partner for so long is making each other laugh. And uh there are definitely jokes on there that uh are just funny to us but nobody else. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, you. I know you have you have pictures. You have cat stickers. Am I right? Uh, I have I have a t shirt, like a single pair meow t shirt, and then I also I we do the comic, the Lucy and Ron web comic. Oh yeah, yeah, I've seen yeah. that. It's, yeah. it's adorable. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's yeah. I mean, Lucy, you know, she's been uh, she's been with me for seventeen years. So wow. Yeah. How is she doing? She's she's good. I mean, you know, she's she's for her age, she's still pretty. I mean, she still plays. She's on she's on one medication, which for her age, that's not too bad. And uh and yeah, she's uh she's the she's the queen of the castle. I mean, you know, my wife and I love her and, you know, she's uh she's the best. Everything <laughs> everything you say or makes it sound like your uh, Lucy is your mom. <laughs> Uh, she's doing okay. She's still got good mobility for her age. I mean, her stool's not great, and we keep an eye on it. And a just... couple years ago, it wasn't, and I got really, really worried. <laughs> a couple years yeah. ago, there was an issue, and, and I, I had a really – I was scared. I, I was like, she's well, 15, I, she's sick. Uh, I mean, you know, and any person that uh, – I mean, both ways you could take that are weird. It's like either you're checking your grandmother's stool um, (laughs) in the toilet or there's a 15-year-old who you have that you have to check their poop just to make sure they're healthy. Um, (laughs) But, uh, well, that's great. And how long have you and your wife been together now? We we got married in 2020. So How how long have you been together, though? We got together in 2017. Oh, nice! Yeah, we we met I, we met out in California. Oh, yeah. look at that! You have like you have memories of places you've been outside. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. Uh, I, well, how long how long have you and Linus been together? Uh 22 years. Wow, that's uh, congrats! That's fantastic. Uh, we got together in high school. Um, yeah. Uh, and yeah, he, that's, he was the reason you came to the Northwest, right? Yeah. Yeah. He okay. like, I was initially supposed to move out here too. So it wasn't just that, but uh, yeah, the like, um, like uh, we've been together for so long and I, we never, we got married only like 10 years ago, but only it was us doing it kind of as a bit um, <laughs> because we 
we wanted to throw a wedding that was like, because if you're together long enough for a long time and your friends have relationships around you. Okay, cat. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, if you're, if you're, you've been together long enough and your friends are in long relationships around you, it becomes like a hands on a hot body contest. The way that like a radio station contest has a, uh, you keep your hand on a car and if you stay on it, the longest you win it, you win okay. it. It's like that, but with, with staying together with our relationship and we feel like we won the car, but, uh, when we did, we got married at a Denny's in Baltimore, the Denny's we hung out in. And oh, that's awesome. We did promises of stuff we'd start doing and stop doing once we got, it was, we wrote it as uh, a comedic piece together. We had like Mad Lib wedding vows and that's fantastic. Exchanged onion rings and Perfect. Uh, his promise was he's his promise was the one that uh, his was the best one. He was like, I promise to curb my high five addiction, and then he says. As soon as I stop being so awesome and then like high fives, like three people. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's fantastic. But, but uh, yeah, writing a comedic piece together as like, uh, like as writing this like comedic show together as partners for a wedding was like really fun. And our wedding was really cheap because we did it at a Denny's. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah that's all material that's on the album too none of none oh, of nice. what i've said none of what i've said now i wasn't like trying to shoehorn in material no that's no, no. All- that's fantastic so uh cats and nostalgia got in the way of that last question so i will i, I will uh, go back to it real quick as we wrap up uh so how how would you say like the comedy scene has changed in Seattle and, and just kind of at large, like how's it different for somebody starting out today? Um, from what I can see from the youngest people is that, uh, there's because of the gap that COVID has caused because of the like gap in time, there's a bunch of newer comics that are starting that started at outdoor mics in like places they shouldn't have been doing outdoor mics at at all. And so the people they were kind of learning from weren't the best people. And so it's a lot of, it's a lot of, I think it's, I think the same is true of a lot of places. You have a comedians who have been doing it for three years, but the reality is, is they did like five mics over quarantine outside or mm-hmm. over zoom. And, uh, but I will say that they they know more about being savvy with uh, the younger comics know how to be savvier with social media platforms like TikTok. Obviously, I think that's a no. That's a no, that's nothing surprising to say, and it's nothing I really needed to get uh, good at, and don't really see as a barometer for my success. I mean, I might not doing this for a living i still have a job but doing what i want to do and getting to travel where i want to and choose the things i do is also a certain amount of freedom so that's been um but i think that uh 
So, like, now, like, some mics have, like, codes of conduct of people not saying shitty things, and that's really good. But I think it's just, like, people are patterned after... People pattern themselves after the generation they grew up watching. And since it's a lot more... It is a lot more um, people listening to podcasts in the same way or watching, you know, shows on YouTube affecting the way that they see comedy. Or I think as Mark Maron says, they're showbiz because there's so many different kinds of showbiz um, and they each want to garner different goals. Like some of them only care to like be big to on on kill tony or something or some only want to like are only trying comedy in seattle long enough to move to austin to try and you know do that whole rogan sphere and uh crazy now like like that's a thing it's like like people are going to austin specifically for comedy it's it's weird and it's also weird because there's already such a rich scene there right have yeah i have having gone back there to do uh, a really great uh, comedy festival called the altercation comedy festival put on yeah, J- JT's thing. Yeah. Um, and uh, getting to go, I've gotten, I've been so lucky to go down there and do it a handful of times. And it is the set that I always want to, that like that represents more the Austin comedy scene. It's like, your dirt baggy left kind of comedy. And mm-hmm. uh, I, it's the set that I care about the most over the year, but, uh, but having done shows outside of the, having uh, moved and done shows outside of the festival and seeing the like influx of comedians, you can see the, you can see the effect it's had on, the way that people write in that city. So for like a podcaster that big to like move to someplace and shift the taste and comedy of an entire group of people, the entire scene is really wild. It's really Mm -hmm. wild. But on the flip side, what local comics have told me is that like some of the best comics in all of these other scenes, while they, we might not agree with them on Rogan might still be great comics whose material is still really good. So uh, a lot of people in Austin see it as some of the best comics from all these small scenes moving to Austin. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I definitely saw that in some of the comics that were there. I mean, it's like material that isn't my jam and it wasn't like that was offensive. You could just see the like, patterns and beats of somebody saying something terrible and then slowly backing it up in that like in that fashion that like i people have glommed onto it in the same way uh that uh burr construction of saying something awful and then walking it back over the course of the joke but these comedians don't have the time they don't have a long enough set to do that and don't have the skill so it's them just saying something very awful, losing the audience, and then it just keeps getting worse over the night. <laughs> uh, it goes the opposite way. Yeah. It, uh, but I can, you know, 
you know, like even comics that I really love, I, you know, there's so many comics that I grew up like listening to really inspired by and like going back and listening to them. It's not like they were great. They were still saying terrible things, but with the ironic uh, irony still being put in there. And I think that we don't have ironic racism in the same way. And that is like a step forward and Mm -hmm. it makes it clear what, and when you see like racism, racism now, and like people are like, it's just jokes or whatever. Um, it's, it's, it's more, it, it has less of the like tact, I guess, but also like in hindsight, we can see the like failings of some of the albums we really grew up loving, but I think they're all time capsules and stuff. And like, like I really love, uh, what's that? Um, Pat Oswalt's uh, Werewolves and Lollipops is the album that got me into uh, into really what I wanted my album to sound like was that. And uh, and going back to it, I still holds the fuck up, but you could definitely hear parts of it where you're just like, oh, that hasn't aged perfectly. And I think he would mm-hmm. like agree, but like, uh, yeah, I think we still grew up with looking up to great people when we were coming up in Seattle and I think that like the younger generations are looking up to so many disparate inspirations that can be good and bad. So I think it's like a net whatever, I guess. Mm. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I I don't, I don't, when there was like problems with the scene here in Seattle, when somebody started open, started a safe space mic here in Seattle called the comedy nest, like all of these comics took offense, all these dude comics took offense to it and started like lashing out over like fake accounts and all of this Mm. back and forth. And uh, when a dude got called and that doesn't happen now, like when somebody is, when somebody does, when somebody's like ups, a dude gets called out for something, saying something shitty at a mic, him and all of his friends will leave in solidarity and not come back to the mic. And we'll just start an open mic at some other Asian food restaurant, <laughs> like across town. And uh, I kind of admire you. You have to admire them just like creating their own space to some extent. I don't know. <laughs> so uh, where can people go to learn more about you? What do you got coming up? Plug away. Um, I, the album comes out, uh, December 8th, uh, on Killer Rockstars. It'll be available anywhere. I'd appreciate if people bought it. Uh, I do believe Bandcamp has settled their labor disputes. So that's a good place to get it or pre-order it. And, uh, just anywhere you, you know, get your, uh, multimedia from, uh, uh, there's no video of it. I don't release much video other than occasional clips because I, I, I like the, I still love the, I still love the listening to a comedy album back and forth yeah. and hearing things like happen over the course of it. Um, but uh, I'm, yeah, I'm like in Cleveland next week. I'm in, and then I'll be in like Pittsburgh and uh, let's see, Pittsburgh and Portland and, uh, yeah, just a bunch of other places, Cleveland, all over the next couple months. What's your website? Um, I don't have a website, but you can follow me on social media. 
but I, you know, follow me on social media at Andy Alonso on X, Mastodon, Blue Sky, Facebook. I twit, you know, I don't, it's really funny that it's really funny that a guy that hates trans people changed the name of his platform to sound like a non-binary <laughs> <laughs> gender, which, and then expects us to respect, uh, and then is upset that we don't respect the new name. I, I refuse. Uh, I, it is Twitter. Uh, it is Twitter. Uh, but yeah, I, uh, yeah. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Blue Sky, Threads, all of the things. Um, and then I'm trying to think. I'll be on some other podcasts. I mean, uh, other podcasts coming up, like Goods from the Woods. And just listen to those good podcasts, like Goods from the Woods and uh, This Is Rad or Two and Everything is Scary, our friends' podcasts, and Ron's podcast. He's, uh, obviously... Uh, oh, you talked to Jello Biafra the other week. How yeah, was that? Jello, that, that? That was a fun chat. He uh, he has a lot to say. Yeah, you don't yeah. say. I'm sure he would put <laughs> out that whole podcast as a, a, a four LP, <laughs> a four <laughs> disc LP, uh, or uh, or a split seven inch with uh, <laughs> with some with somebody playing guitar underneath it. Uh but yeah, and I'll be down in Olympia, I uh, December twenty second to do, uh, or December twenty third to do a release party for, um, do a release party for the album here in Washington State. Well, congratulations, Andy! I'm I'm so happy for you, and thank you so much for doing this. No problem. It's so great to catch up, and I've been stoked at being able to keep track of all the stuff that you've done and all the touring and. Uh, talk show stuff you've done and how good your comic is. <laughs> that was Andy Awancio. Check her out. Catch her live when she's coming to a city near you and get her album right from Kill Rockstar. So cool. She's putting out an album with them. Music for the 1000 Podcast is provided by Andrew Saxena. Be sure to check out his podcast, The Baywatching Podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. I said podcast way too many times in that sentence. Leave us a five-star review, would you? This is still a very, very new show. And when you leave a five-star review and write a good review, it really helps us grow. So please do that. It is infinitely appreciated. If you want to support this show on the sustainability end, you can do so over patreon.com slash ronplacone. For a give-what-you-can level, you get all kinds of cool perks, including a 1,000 bonus podcast between Andrew and myself. You get to see my films before they're released anywhere else. You get exclusive stand-up clips, and you get all my stuff in one place. So again, patreon.com slash ronplacone, and that's for a give-what-you-can level. Even as much as a dollar a month goes a long way. All right, so 12 episodes deep. We're 12 episodes deep. We're approaching our first new year. It's not, I mean, the, the, the show hasn't been around for a year. It's, it's barely been around for four months, but, but, but it'll be a new year. You know what I mean. We still got a lot of episodes to go. See you next week. Hey guys, Ron Placone here. Take your own 1,000 challenge. No, you don't need to interview 1,000 people, although if you want to do that, go for it. Your 1,000 challenge can be whatever you want. Maybe you want to call a friend out of the blue once a week. Maybe you want to read a book every month. 
Maybe you want to start a different garden every season. I, I guess that might be dependent on where you live. Look, the point of the challenge is taking on an endeavor that enriches your life in some way, and it can be measured. And then, of course, you do it regularly. That's what 1000 is doing for me and hopefully for you, too. The main reason for this podcast and every podcast I've ever done is to build community. So take your own challenge. Then join our Facebook group. It's called 1000 What's Your Challenge? Question mark. That's 1000 What's Your Challenge? Question mark. And post about what your 1000 challenge is and the progress you're making. All I ask is that people be encouraging of each other's challenges. This is personal and vulnerable, so be cool. There's enough negativity on social media. We don't need to add to it. For those of you who aren't on Facebook, hopefully in the future we'll be expanding to places like Discord, Reddit. But for now, we're starting on Facebook. And again, that Facebook group is called 1000 What's Your Challenge. See you there.